This is Mystery Podcast, and I'm novelist Sherry Todd Bayshore. Today, now, is part three and chapter 34 for my young teen award-winning adventure fantasy trilogy, The Crow Child. Those who listened to the first three chapters from part one were introduced to an unlikely superhero in 13-year-old Elijah Clearwater, born with cystic fibrosis. In part two, Thanksgiving in St. Louis, five months after his 14th birthday, Elijah got a late birthday card from an American Aunt Mary he didn't know he had. That set in motion events that expanded the evolution of Crowchild from a school bully in Alberta, Canada, to facing a tense national threat in the United States. Part 3 continues with Elijah Clearwater, the evolving Crowchild, turning 15, when his remarkable gifts are called upon to thwart an international calamity. Now for Part 3, The Sound of Rain, Chapter 34, April. As Elijah slept, Crowchild energy swirled around him and through him, unsettled. Scene change. I'm sorry, Mr. Clearwater, but if your grandson's blockage doesn't show signs of clearing in the next four hours, he'll need surgery. The pediatric doctor folded a stethoscope into the hip pocket of her white lab coat. Stray strands of her straight black hair had slipped away from the single braid down her back. Rock Clearwater took in a deep breath, striving to remain calm. He brushed back strands of graying black hair from his forehead. Elijah's birthday is tomorrow. Pretty grim way for a kid to turn 15 in here. Dr. Sinha, who first met Elijah Clearwater when he was two days old, didn't hide her concern. I agree. I see far too many stressful birthdays in these rooms every day. It happens to CF kids and so many other kids with diabetes, cancer, weak hearts, and many, many other health issues. Keeping Elijah well hydrated and giving him two enemas with a round of clean prep hasn't cleared the blockage in his large intestine. Keta Sinhak checked the wall clock behind the fourth floor nurse's station and then her own wristwatch. It's just after nine now. I'm going to reserve an operating room for 2 p.m. We'll run another quick MRI to check for any movement at 1.45. Then if we need to, we can prep Elijah quickly if there's no change. Rock Clearwater nodded. He understood. His brown eyes almost disappeared behind weathered skin, tanned by years in the sun, and his Sarsi Titsutina heritage. I'll call my sister and my daughter. Do you want me to tell Elijah? No need. I've kept him slightly sedated. The abdominal cramps would be too painful for him if I didn't. But you can certainly sit beside his bed, she smiled. And perhaps you can read to him. Headlines from the daily newspaper rarely excite teens, but he can hear your voice. Grandpa Clearwater phoned his daughter Dawn to call his older sister, Aunt Lucille. He then slid a chair closer to Elijah. He sighed. Many nights and days he kept vigil at his grandson's bedside over the years. Watching him now again, Rock was amazed how much Elijah had grown and yet how young he still looked when he slept. His unruly mop of dark brown curly hair was a mix of his mother's Irish red curls and his Sarsi father's straight black hair. Elijah's hazel eyes were also a blend of his father's brown eyes and his mother's pale blue. Scene change. There was a disturbance that Crowchild sensed. Something malicious with gathering momentum 
with an unavoidable looming force toward a mammoth calamity. Scene change. Spring in Morristown, New York, USA, population 13,000, had been mostly overcast and mostly windy. Due north across the St. Lawrence River to Brockville, Ontario, Canada, population 22,000, the residents had fared about the same. So multiple explosions came as multiple shocks to citizens of both towns, as had the foreboding sound that preceded them. That tiny clue had also gone unnoticed. Simultaneously at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, three upper floor windows of Morristown's main courthouse and city hall and Brockville's historic courthouse and city hall addition were pierced, followed immediately by a high-pitched sizzle, then twelve fiery explosions. Shattered glass, debris, and flame shot out from the window openings of all four buildings on three sides. People who weren't immediately hurt were trapped by fires in several locations, falling walls and ceiling plaster. Outside, vehicles collided in the streets, while pedestrians who weren't injured by flying glass and debris ran for cover. People living in both towns could actually see the mirrored unfolding tragedies from opposite banks of the major river and shared seaway. Immediately, local Morristown and Brockville police, ambulance and firefighters responded, but it was chillingly clear to Canadian RCMP in Ottawa, Ontario, and American FBI agents in Washington, D.C. what had happened. And worse, what had just happened was likely only a test, only the beginning. To the authorities on both sides of the 49th parallel, the U.S.-Canadian border, this was another well-planned, well-coordinated terrorist attack on North American soil. When the phone rang on the desk of the newly promoted Inspector Eric Wheeler, he was immediately sorry he had answered it, though he had no other options. He listened to the emergency caller at the other end. It just happened? He looked at his watch, still listening. How is that possible? He scribbled notes as the voice continued with preliminary information. Okay, thanks. I'm on my way. I'll take the 416 and be there in an hour. Inspector Weller had hesitated exactly one second, checking his wall map. He could have arranged for a police helicopter. However, by the time he'd driven to the heliport and then flew out, he'd use up another 20 minutes, only to arrive at Brockville about the same time, then he'd still need a car. The mid-morning traffic on Ontario Highway 416 was mostly transport trucks. Their size made it easy for him to weave between them, maintaining a high speed with only his lights flashing. Just 12 miles from the city limits of Brockville, the officer could clearly see thick, dark gray smoke. It rose to the low ceiling of overcast cloud, then spread east toward the St. Lawrence River. Beyond Highway 29, he took the off-ramp. Barricades were already set up across all major roads in and out of the small city. He slowed then stopped to show his badge and ID card to one of three officers posted to monitor traffic. Thank you, Sergeant. Wheeler clipped his badge to the outer collar of his jacket. She smiled. You're welcome, sir. The courthouse and city hall are on King Street, but I don't think you'll need directions. Just follow the smoke plume. He nodded and did just that. Passing through two more barricaded checkpoints, he parked one block away from the burning city hall, then stood on the roof of his RCMP car with his binoculars raised. One water truck remained at the courthouse. It looked like the fire there was under control. 
However, at City Hall, three water trucks were parked on three sides, as close to the building as was safely possible. Stubborn flames continued to punch through blackened windows on the north side. Then, with a sudden thunderous roar, the top floor of the City Hall collapsed onto the floor below, igniting fresh fuel of more varnished wood, furniture, and interior walls. Immediately, two water trucks began to spray through the lower floor windows to keep the ceiling and ground floor cooler. A fourth truck raced from the courthouse to assist the other trucks fighting a renewed fire. He panned his attention across the river to Morristown, with its struggling volunteer fire department losing the battle to save either one of their historic buildings. Inspector Wheeler? Eric looked down to see a short, muscular, gray-haired man with a much younger woman, about the same height with coffee-colored skin and short, curly black hair. I'm Brockville's police captain, Rex Treadway, and this is FBI Special Agent Opal Thane. Eric Wheeler slid from the car roof to the sidewalk, extending his hand first to Agent Thane, then to the local police captain. Agent Thane spoke first. We've already met with RCMP Staff Sergeant Zenas, who told us that he'd called you. The last time we saw Officer Zenas, he was walking around the courthouse with a Brockville fire inspector and two FBI arson experts. Inspector Wheeler left his car. Looks like everyone we need is here. The trio walked east, taking a wide route to the north of the burning city hall toward the blackened and smoldering courthouse. Where's your office, Agent Thane? You and your team got here awfully fast. It's only 1 p.m. They stopped walking as the traffic officer waved another ambulance through the intersection. Please call me Opal. Ironically, we were already here, sort of. Three weeks ago, we set up a monitoring station in Ogdenburg, only 11 miles further east. It's the next community beyond Morristown on the U.S. shore side. We've been monitoring terrorist chatter that first began to mention the St. Lawrence Seaway five months ago. They reached the middle of King Street and crossed over to a stand of oaks that once shaded the corner of the courthouse front park. Now the grass and the brick walkways were ridged with tracks from tires of ambulances and heavy fire trucks. Agent Thane looked up at Inspector Wheeler. We've been sending duplicate updates directly to your RCMP commissioner at Federal and International Operations in Ottawa. I'm surprised you weren't briefed. My promotion has only been effective for the last three days. I didn't have an office until 8 o'clock this morning. Eric searched the crowd of police, rescue, and fire personnel for Doug Zenas. Doug Zenas spotted him first. Inspector, the officer broke away from his group of local police. He rushed over and acknowledged the two other officers. Agent Thane, Captain Treadway, he nodded. Hell of a mess, sir. I regret to report, but the Brockville mayor has been confirmed dead, and so were two judges. Other confirmed dead from the latest hospital report is 18, with 42 serious injuries. Wheeler looked beyond the courthouse across the river to Morristown. What about the casualties over there? Zenas pulled out his phone and scrolled to a third screen. They've only been able to get tugboats in position to help with the water on their fire about 30 minutes ago, so all Morristown could report were injuries. So far, there have been 27, five serious. As far as casualties or any rescue attempts, that hasn't been possible yet. It's still way too hot and dangerous for rescue. Inspector Wheeler nodded, absently watching activity between two historic buildings on the Canadian side of the border, and the same heroic attempts across the shared St. Lawrence River 
to the American side. He looked at Agent Thane. What do we do now? Around them, under the grouping of oak trees, sirens echoed and voices called out. Opal Thane responded. Both municipal locations were hit simultaneously at 11 a.m. The targets were the top floors of each town's courthouse and city hall, within sedentary devices programmed to penetrate windows on three sides of all four buildings. We haven't ruled out small, long-range rockets with GPS capability. But so far, the actual delivery system of this attack hasn't been determined. This ends Chapter 34 from Part 3. I hope you've enjoyed this glimpse into the story plot and the character I enjoyed creating. Thank you so very much for tuning in again. I appreciate your time.